Welcome to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Today we're going to focus in on your house. We'll talk with the president of the Missouri Association of Realtors to see how the housing market is shaping up this spring. And we'll also find out how Missouri is projected to handle potential floods this year. And for aviation buffs, there is a museum in Marshall you will not want to miss. Uh, We have quite a history to the early years of flight and uh, Marshall, Missouri, played a big role in that. So that story's coming up. One Republican member of the House of Representatives wants to make adoption a bit easier by getting rid of a tax credit limit for expenses. Representative Hannah Kelly talks with Anthony Morbeth. So uh, this issue came about, Rob Scobo, when he was speaker, called me into his office one day and he said, Hannah, I really want to work on adoption. And some folks have proposed to him the idea of an adoption tax credit and a foster care tax credit. And being a former foster care mom, as well as an adoptive mom uh, now, um, I fully understand and have lived and walked the road of what Missouri families are walking on on both sides of the issue. Um, Adoptions aren't cheap. Oftentimes, even if you're adopting through the state, you've still got extra expenses. My, for example, would be, um, you know, the adoption of my own daughter. She, she was 17 when I adopted her and there was, I had to pay to get it done. Right. Um, because I'll be quite frank with you. The system is such that it almost kind of pushes the older kids that get stuck in it. Um, off to the side. And I don't mean that bad to anyone listening who might be working hard within the system to change it uh, and to serve the kiddos on the front line. It's just the unfortunate facts that I have known to be the reality of our situation and others as well. Anyway, so with that and also, you know, being a foster mom who's had kids dropped on my doorstep who needed more things than what the allowance would cover, right? You know, and I was blessed to be able to get those things for them. But looking back, it would have been so wonderful to be able to, you know, to apply towards a foster care tax credit at the end of the year to help balance my own books to help potentially continue serving in that way. Um, so when the speaker when the speaker proposed these ideas to me, I, I of course jumped all over and I was like, I want to do it, I want to do it, you know, and. So what we did was we expanded the adoption tax credit from special needs kids to everyone. Like, and, and I got some pushback on that because I had people make some well-meaning, well-intentioned comments of like, you know, what if I'm going out of country or what if I'm going across state lines to adopt a child, you know, why should I get a tax credit? Well, my response to that is, is if there is a family in Missouri who is building their life in Missouri, who happens to know a child in need the next state over or the next country over, I that child, once adopted, is a Missourian. And that's the whole point of adoption is to, I tell this to people all the time, and I, I say this from a place of experience, adoption is a journey of pain, uh, born from a journey of pain uh, to a future of joy. That is the facts, right? And my daughter is my daughter. And yes, she has a biological mama in the family, but she's forever a part of my heart now. And she carries my last name. And just as that is a fact, anyone who would adopt from outside of state lines, that child's a Missourian, period, in my book. And I'm grateful that the General Assembly agreed with me and the governor did as well. And uh, we were able to pass those bills two years ago now. So now here we are with the reality that those tax credits were not refundable. 
And basically what we're doing with this is we're seeking to make those tax credits refundable up to $10,000 worth of expenses per household. The the notion, and and I mentioned this, uh, I myself have not adopted or gone uh, through the uh, foster care field, but I know that um, my in-laws and um, uh-huh. my wife's grandparents have. And the one thing that I hear constantly is this is extremely expensive. And uh, I would have to assume, uh, I know that you have received opposition on this, which we'll get to momentarily, but I would have to assume that there's a lot of people uh, praising this idea that you're basically proposing to get rid of the tax credit limit for adoption expenses. Yes, um, that's the ultimate goal. I want to make sure that we are, uh, that we're doing what we need to do. And making sure that we're supporting the kids, making sure that we're prioritizing families first over getting lost on a budget line when it comes to these kids having forever homes. I will say this to the last day of my, I I said this from the beginning and I will say this beyond the last day that I'm allowed to be in office. And that is government was never intended to be a parent. Government cannot be a good parent. Government will not ever be the parent any child needs. Our job is, as state government, I believe, to facilitate the opportunity for kids to know commitment from Missouri families. This is simply investing in forever futures for these kids with parents and homes and families that are strong and established. And it's it's money well spent in my book. Talking with Republican State Representative Hannah Kelly of Mountain Grove on Show Me today. We're talking about House Bill 714. It deals with the adoption tax credit. And uh, you, you you brought this up in one of your recent responses. I just wanted to touch on this briefly because in the name of trying to provide adequate coverage, both for and against, I, I do think it's worth highlighting some of the opposition I was reading. One comment says this is akin to the commodification of children, i.e. just a name, just a number, just another product. Uh, Another comment I said is that uh, the current $10,000 per year limit already is generous. Another person said no person is owed a child as the um, sponsor of this bill and also as someone who uh, obviously has gone through this and done this yourself. Talk to me about your uh, response to some of the opposition. My response is everybody's entitled to their opinion, and I appreciate and respect those opinions. But the facts of it are is we have checks and balances in this lane, for lack of a better word, because we all know that whether, you know, in any realm of society, there are good and bad actors, right? So I'm not going to sit here and say that there's every situation is going to be perfect. Um, there are going to be situations that are not good, but there's also going to be situations that are going to win for these children. And by the huge 99th percentile, we have a community of people in this state that are invested in making sure these kids get what they need. And I would challenge anyone, anyone who looks at this as monetizing children to take a walk with me down to their local community orphanage to take a walk with me 
down to the DFS office to talk to the to the caseworkers who deal with teens who are stuck in this system, who just want somebody to love and support them as they launch into adult life. I would challenge anyone to go down to the local motel with me and give blankets to the pregnant mamas who ha- are having a hard time and making decisions about what they do for their child's future. I would challenge anyone to tell me after putting clothes on the back of the kids to get dropped on your doorstep because they have nothing I would challenge anyone to tell me that this is about money. This is yes, we are talking about money on a on a piece of paper that is real that comes out of the state coffers. Absolutely. I fully acknowledge that this that this is absolute real money. But I refuse to accept the theory that we should put a price on these kids' heads because leaving you know, anybody that tells me that 10 to, up to $10,000 per child, uh, and I would clarify, if $10,000 is for the adoption and the, the, this is adoption tax credit only, this doesn't dive into the foster care tax credit that we pass. And, but, but, but my response to those naysayers is go see the need in your community and see how much better a family unit can do for a child. And then come back and tell me what the answer is. Because 80% of the people in today will not be able to, for various reasons, to adopt. I fully understand that not everybody could do what I was able to do. I get that. I get that 100%. I also know that I had a nice lawyer that make me let, let me make payments on the adoption fee. I also know that my daughter needed a home. She needed a forever home so she wouldn't get stuck in the system until she was 21. And I also know that all of this stuff costs, but the ultimate thing is nothing is free. Nothing is free. But you, anything you name me is not free. This is what we should be investing in. We get so many things wrong at state government level. But the one thing we can get right is getting these kids forever homes and helping families be able to do that. And until anyone who claims that this is too much money goes and walks the process themselves and understands the reality of the expense, I don't think anybody has any room to talk until they've done it themselves. And then if you come back to me and you say, Hannah, it's too much money, then I'll have a conversation. But until you've looked children in the eye that need a forever home and understood what it might take to get him or her there, I don't really have a response because whether it's me, you, or anybody else, until you've walked the walk, you don't have, you don't have the bandwidth to understand the struggle. State Representative Hannah Kelly here on Show Me Today. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. The first three years of every child's life are critical. Learn more about early intervention. How your baby or toddler plays, learns, talks, acts, and moves give important clues as to how they are developing. If you have any questions or concerns about whether your baby or toddler's development is on track, please call 1-800-515-BABY. That's 1-800-515-2229. Call 1-800-515-BABY. That's 1-800-515-2229. Mom and Dad used to argue about everything, especially about Dad's drinking. My family went from totally crazy to quiet, calm, and even peaceful when Mom started going to Al-Anon family groups. I wanted a better relationship with Dad, so I asked Mom if she would take me to her Al-Anon meetings or to Alateen. I'm sure glad I did. If someone's drinking troubling you, you might be surprised at what you can learn in an Al-Anon or Alateen family group from people just like you. Call 1-888-4-AL-ANON or go to alanon.org. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? 
Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. If you're talking, they will hear you. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. This is Show Me Today. If you're in an area subject to flooding, you may want to check what your insurance covers. Marshall Griffin is here with the Vice President of Public Affairs for the American Property Casualty Insurance Corporation to analyze the precautions and how Missouri is projected to handle potential floods this year. Even with the drought uh, last summer, there was a a very devastating flash flood in the St. Louis area that uh, actually killed some people, did a lot of property damage. So just just because conditions are dry doesn't mean that flooding is not a risk. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct, and particularly with the flash flooding that, like you had in St. Louis, where you know, and that's the challenge of flooding is that it's really hard to predict exactly where and when they will occur. Uh, the river flooding is a little more predictable, and this year NOAA is estimating that the Missouri, the Mississippi River from uh, Minneapolis down to St. Louis is at greater than average uh, flood risk. And uh, and then also what we have right at this time of the year are the tornadoes and things. And while Missouri doesn't have as many as some of the states that are in the top 10, you can count on probably around 50 tornado reports each year in Missouri. And uh, so you have to be kind of watching for both the water rising as well as the uh, windstorms that can blow through. Why is there a higher risk of flooding on the upper Mississippi this year? From what I understand, it's a lot of it has to do with the uh, snowfall this year. We've had a little bit more snow this year, and uh, so that's putting a little more uh, pressure on the contributor contributaries to the Mississippi River. And so, from the uh, the northern part of the river, is expected to be a little bit more flooded uh, than it has in past years. 
You're listening to Show Me Today. This is Marshall Griffin. We're speaking with Jeffrey Brewer with the American Property Casualty Insurance Corporation. Now, uh, this is uh, the, the time of year we can expect floods, as uh, we've uh, mentioned already. Remind us of some of the really significant flood events Missouri has seen in recent years. This past last year, St. Louis had a major flash flooding event that uh, created a lot of property damage. And I believe there may have been one or two lives that were lost in that. Uh, and then as you go back a few years, there's been a lot of flooding. I'm from Iowa, and I remember in uh, 92, 93, we had a lot of flood events. And then there was a really major flood event back in the 20s that was particularly widespread and, and uh, deadly. So flooding is something that we ought to be really watchful for uh, because, you know, even a, you know, one inch of water you know, is estimated to cause, you know, could cause up to $25,000 in damage. And so it's real important to know what your flood risk is and uh, and then take steps to make sure that you're prepared because particularly with the flash floods, they can occur really quickly. So you don't always have a lot of time to respond and react. So advanced preparation is the key. Are there any common misconceptions about uh, what's in a homeowner's policy when it, you know, when it comes to natural disasters? Yeah, most uh, wind-related events are going to be covered. Uh, most hail events are going to be covered. But flooding is not covered in your standard homeowner's policy. And a lot of people don't realize that. It's, uh, uh, flood insurance is something that you have to purchase from either the National Flood Insurance Program or there are some private companies that offer it. But typically there's like a 30-day waiting period before before your flood coverage you know, kicks in. And so you don't want to wait until the water is rising to buy your flood insurance. You want to get that in advance. And uh, one of the things that's important to do is we encourage everyone, whether it's for flooding or just general uh, purposes, is to talk to their insurance agent at least once a year and do an assessment of their risk to make sure that they're adequately covered, you know, with insurance. And at that time, you can, you know, look at purchasing flood insurance either from your uh, from your agent, or if you need be, you go to the National Flood Insurance Program and purchase flood. One of the last things you want to do is make sure you have the not only the right amount of coverage, but the right types of coverage. And that's part of the review process that you go through with your agent to make sure that uh, your coverage is, uh, is up to date. One of the things that we have found, particularly with inflation, the cost of supplies, cost of rebuilding has all gone up. And you may need to increase your coverage amount to make sure you are adequately covered. Because the last thing you want to do is to find out, that, you know, when, after an event has occurred, that you don't have either the right type of insurance or you don't have enough insurance to fully recover. So to take that away, you know, for, to prevent that from occurring, have that conversation with your agent or broker to make sure that you're fully covered. Because for most of us, our home is our biggest asset. And uh, you, so you want to protect that as best you can. One other thing that I would add is that too often we find that people overestimate their preparedness for disasters, and this can lead to gaps in preparedness and gaps in their insurance coverage. And so again, that's another thing that we always, you know, if you think if you think you're prepared, check it out and make sure. You're listening to Show Me Today. This is Marshall Griffin, and we're speaking with Jeffrey Brewer. He's the Vice President of Public Affairs for the American Property Casualty Insurance Association. Uh, obviously, uh, there's people think about uh, make, making sure their homes are protected uh, during a floods, but uh, flooding is also uh, can also be very risky for uh, vehicles, cars, trucks, SUVs, and the like. What uh, 
any advice as far as uh, coverage or making sure your um, automobiles uh, don't get either you know totaled out or heavily damaged in floodwaters? Yeah, that's a really good point. With the um, with the autos, it's important to make sure you have comprehensive coverage on your auto because that's what's going to cover you for a flood. The other thing is that if you if your car is in floodwaters. You know, uh, be careful about starting it up or driving it if, like, the floorboards are wet or if you think water has gotten up into the engine because the, because the electrical uh, parts of the car can be damaged and that can ruin the whole engine, you know, if you try and drive it while it's still wet. And so we recommend, you know, if your car is in a flood to, you know, have it towed and taken to a mechanic where they can, you know, make sure it's dried out. And uh, and then you know go through the process of you know starting it and making sure it's all okay and everything. If you run, if you're driving your car and you look and you come into an area that looks like it may be flooded, you know don't don't enter it. You know we we talk about you know uh, turning around you know during the flood to make sure that you don't uh, find yourself getting swept away in the floodwaters because you'd be surprised how little water it takes to provide the lifted vehicle up and then you can get you know taken away and in, in the flood water so uh they talk about you know stop turn around you know before you enter into you know flood area flooded areas are there any particular home improvements uh, that uh, someone can do to help you know make certain safeguards uh, when it comes to flooding you know, you may, may not be able to pr- totally protect a house from flooding, but are there certain things that homeowners can do to reduce the risk? To reduce the risk is part of it is understanding exactly what your risk is. And you want to find out, you know, what, because depending upon how often you get flooded and where you get flooded and how it floods, you know, can make a difference. And so uh, talk with your agent about, you know, what your flood risk is and, you know, what sort of steps you can do. But some things are, you know, is to try and keep the water out of the house, either through, you know, building the home up a little bit more where it's elevated. It's not like a hurricane where you get storm surge, you know, but having the house a little higher up can make a difference. And then, like, so you often see people, you know, sandbagging, you know, around their house during uh, storms. And so having those kinds of things, you know, at your ready, as opposed to trying to get them at the last minute is helpful. We always recommend people create an inventory of their home content. Uh, so if something happens and they, uh, you know, have a loss, they know exactly what they had. And it can be done, you know, real quickly because everyone now has with their cell phone a camera. And even if you just go through each house, each room of your house, your closets, your drawers, and take photos or a video of your content, then it makes it easier to report a loss to your agent if you have one. Uh, and so it's just kind of a, a handy little thing. And you can store it, you know, on your phone. You can store it in the cloud so that you have it if, you know, if you need it. That was Jeffrey Brewer, the Vice President of Public Affairs for the American Property Casualty Insurance Association. You're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past a turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our our roads. It's It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will 
Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Welcome back to Show Me Today. Aviation buffs, we have a place for you. The Nicholas Beasley Aviation Museum in the great town of Marshall. And Brian Berlin from the museum joins us. Brian, welcome. Thank you for having us on. Brian, how long has the museum been open? The museum actually opened in 2008. 
And we've been going since that time. Wow. Okay. So it's been around a while. Uh, Brian, you, President Drew Green, and Vice President of the Museum Tom Jones, the three of you must have a deep love for aviation. Yes. uh, They actually are pilots. I'm a train bus, but I love history, and I'm a native to Marshall, and it's a story that I didn't know about when I was growing up. So when I learned about it, I was fascinated. Ah, okay. A train guy in the in the plane museum business. Good, very good. Uh, the Nicholas Beasley Aviation Museum in Marshall. Uh, I want to talk about a couple of the planes that uh, you have on display. And even though you're a, a train guy, maybe you can uh, help us because I was looking at uh, some of the photos on your website. Uh, the NB three. Um, what's interesting about this is uh, the wings are actually below the. The fuselage looks like uh, they go from under the pilot's feet and then out from there. Yes, they are. It's actually a low-wing monoplane. It was maybe the first all-metal-framed monoplane in the world. It was designed by an English uh, aviation uh, engineer who was named Walter H. Barling. So the airplane was way ahead of its time, and not only was the wing on the lower part of the airplane it was fully cantilevered and had no braces or struts so it was a very clean design that uh was unusual for that time and in what year did the nb3 come out the nb3 was certified i believe in 1929 wow i mean that's amazing because the right the wright brothers got off the ground in 1903 so less than 25 years later and and you've got the planes like that. You beat me to the punch. That's that's usually that's usually how I reference it during a tour. How early in aviation this is? Less than twenty five years after the Wright brothers basically flew a kite at Kitty Hawk, Marshall, Missouri is in the airplane business. Less than twenty five years in the blink of an eye. And uh, this model, the NB three, it broke records for altitude, speed, and distance. What are what are we talking about in terms of those type of numbers? I don't want to give away all of the stories of the museum because I'd love your people to come and see it, but a guy showed up from North Dakota who was really just looking for parts for his airplane, and he became their chief instructor and their test pilot. His name was Dwight Samuel Zimmerly, who would maybe be better known as Norm Stewart's father-in-law. So after the airplane was certified... The airplane was very lightweight because the wing was built out of aluminum. So the airplane weighs less than 700 pounds. It set a nonstop distance record from Brownsville, Texas to Winnipeg, Canada, 1,600 miles uh, uh, in 16 and a half hours. So uh, it, it, it was a phenomenal thing. It set an altitude record over St. Louis of almost 28,000 feet. Uh, it took two hours to achieve that height because of the low horsepower engine, and Barney was wearing oxygen at that time. But those were incredible records for light planes during that era. Wow. Brian Berlin joining us from the Nicholas Beasley Aviation Museum in Marshall. And, Brian, I wanted to ask you, because uh, it, it's open. It looked like there were two seats, uh, the pilot and then somebody sitting in the back. But there's no cover over them. There's a little tiny windshield. So when you're going yes. that fast, and, and it sounded like the, the pilot there had, had oxygen, and, but what did, that, what did that feel across their face? Well, they sold uh, what was called a leather helmet, which wasn't really a helmet. It was just kind of a head protection. And then they had goggles. 
And the Nicholas Beasley Company was also in the airplanes parts business. And so they were a, they were selling parts all over the country and not just to individuals, but to other airplane companies. So what's really unbelievable is a hundred years later, Nicholas Beasley leather flying helmets are on eBay and the catalogs for their flying airplane parts are actually on eBay also. They can be anywhere in the world. They can be in Columbia, Missouri. They can be in Columbia, the country. Brian Berlin joining us from the Nicholas Beasley Aviation Museum uh, from Marshall. So so tell me more about the, the name Nicholas Beasley and, and the, the company and how it got its start. And... How it got its start. Russell B. Nicholas, a Marshall man who had been in World War I, uh, was sort of an automobile mechanic, and he thought that if Marshall men could work on cars, they could surely work on airplanes. They'd worked on farm equipment, and the first purchase that he made was surplus World War I uh, propellers from the government. And he sold out so quickly that he thought maybe there was a business there. So the next thing that they purchased was surplus World War I airplanes that had not been assembled but were stored in Houston, Texas. Those airplanes came to Marshall, and they were wooden biplanes. They were put together and sold really inexpensively. You could buy one for less than $1,500. So they would go around the country uh, with all these barnstorming pilots who wanted to fly and give people rides because aviation was a thrill. And so that was going really well until there were a couple of accidents and a few people died. And the government jumped in and said, wait a minute, we don't want people to have rides in wooden framed airplanes. They need to be airplanes with engineered designs. And so that's how Mr. Barling was one of the very first airplane designers that designed an airplane to meet government specifications. So they started out with World War One surplus, but they were at the forefront of designing their own airplanes. Brian, I, I want to talk about the Flying Flea. Uh, you have an airplane on display. Now, this was built after the NB-3. Now, the NB-3 was so far ahead of its time, but the Flying Flea... Brian, listen, I wouldn't trust this thing on the ground, let alone in the air. I mean, this looks like a carnival ride. It looked like I'd have to pay like you well, know, six tickets to, to go on a ride on this thing. It's like a soapbox derby version of a plane. When we started meeting, uh, the actual idea for the museum was launched in 2002. The NB3 that we have, out of over 100 that were built, we we believe it is the only complete example that has survived. It had been owned by a, a man in uh, Oklahoma for 50 years. And he had fabricated all the pieces that were missing because the airplane company went out of business during the Depression. So during the Depression, people couldn't afford the NB-3 for $3,600. So they actually designed an airplane after that, the NB-8, for $2,000. And they were able to sell 58 more airplanes before they stopped. But what we learned when we were building in the museum and had ideas floating around that other airplanes were also built in Marshall, which included the Flying Flea. The Flying Flea was a home-built airplane built from scratch by a Marshall man who was a nephew of Mr. Beasley. And he bought a book from a man from France that's the directions of how to build it. So Jake Van Dyke, 
followed the directions and built his own airplane right here in Marshall with Nicholas Beasley parts. And it is more like a hang glider. You're right. It looks kind of unusual compared to the other airplanes. But the man who wrote the book thought if you could nail two boards together, you could build your own airplane. And that would allow almost anyone in the world to fly an airplane. But Jake qualified and he built the flea here in town. Uh, if you get an opportunity, you need to go to the Nicholas Beasley Aviation Museum in Marshall. Uh, and let me give you the website, nicholasbeasley.org. Look it up. And what are your hours? When can people come in and see you? We serve tours from uh, 10 to 4 on Tuesday through Saturday or by appointment if there's special requests or special needs to arrange tours. We give guided tours because we feel it is a real story about real people. And instead of just looking at our stuff and coming out and saying nice stuff and going home, we really want to tell you the story of what was happening in Marshall. And uh, it makes it a lot more personal and uh, a whole lot more unique. Well, Brian, you are a great storyteller. Marshall, Missouri played such a big hand in the role of aviation early on. Well, and I'll give you one more Columbia connection just, just because you're from Columbia and are interested in that. There was so much going on here that they attracted the attention of a wooden propeller manufacturer named Ole Phelan, whose family was originally from Sweden. Ole Phelan, uh, after Nicholas Beasley closed, came to Columbia, Missouri, and worked out of the Adkins building and built World War II propellers for the government as well as civilian propellers in Columbia before he moved on finally to California. Actually, if you go on eBay... Only failing propellers show up occasionally, as do snowshoes that he built for the federal government. So Columbia has a couple connections to the Nicholas Beasley Aviation Museum. Brian Berlin from the Nicholas Beasley Aviation Museum in Marshall. Thank you so much for the stories, and uh, I'm sure people will uh, want to come out and uh, take one of your tours and, uh, and learn more. We'd be glad to tell the story. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, this is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact, like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, 
they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. And we're back on Show Me Today. Elisa Nelson talks to Andrea Sheridan, president of the Missouri Association of Realtors, uh, to find out how the housing market is going to be this spring. I'm curious, are the warmer weather months, is that like the busiest time of year for homes being on the market in Missouri? It definitely is. We see the most inventory during those spring summer months. Okay, so it's it's ramping up for you. Um, so let's talk about what is Missouri's housing market. What's it expected to look like in terms of um, it approaching the the warmer uh, weather months? Yeah, spring has sprung early for us, um, and I think that's happening coast to coast. But what we're seeing here in Missouri is another insurgence of. Um, houses selling in 24 to 48 hours. And when homes are priced correctly, um, they're seeing multiple offers. So talk about what the inventory has been like lately and what do you expect the inventory to look like during the warmer months here in Missouri? Yeah, yeah so what we're seeing um, from Kansas City at 1.4 months of inventory Columbia has 2.5 months of inventory currently, and St. Louis is seeing, just like Kansas City, 1.3 months of inventory. So what that means from a housing perspective, if we were looking at like a normal market, it's usually around five to six months of inventory. So if we didn't put any other houses up for sale, it would take five to six months to sell. That would be an average market. So we're really solidly entrenched in a seller's market with it only taking one to two months to sell the inventory that we have available. I guess I'm kind of surprised with interest rates being what they have been lately. They, they've continued to rise. Um, I, I guess I expected that to impact the housing market. Uh, what is going on? <laughs> Yeah, there's several factors. So what we see in that is housing is something that's always needed. People are always um, relocating, needing a house, things like that. And what happened is after 2008, a lot of the builders either slowed down their building production or stopped building completely. And so we had several million homes that were never born, which then um, accelerated that, that housing shortage that we're seeing. 
the homes that are like 200,000, 300,000 ish, maybe even 400,000, are they just getting swiped up in a blink of an eye and and maybe not even sometimes making it making it to market? Um, we are seeing some properties sell before they even hit the market. Um, we've also seen um, in a lot of our metropolitan areas that commercial buyers or um, institutional investors are coming in and buying things and turning them into rentals, which also is a competition for those actual wanting to own or occupy uh, homeowners. But we are seeing anything pretty much that is priced correctly is going to sell very quickly. Then we also have um, like the upper market, um, higher priced homes that may sit just a little while longer, but we do see a very fast market with the, the average sales prices. So what kind of suggestions would you give people who might be looking to buy or even sell this year um, so that they're... Um, they're, they're out there and they're able to find something, uh, by the time they want to find something or sell something by the time they want to sell something. Uh, definitely having a consultation with your local realtor. They're going to be the ones that have the expertise on how to price your property. So it sells for the most money in the shortest amount of time. And then for your buying process. Um, having that consultation not only with your realtor, but your your mortgage professional, if you do need a loan, making sure you have all of that together because speed is the name of the game in this market. Since the houses are not sitting on the market very long, you need to be prepared and ready to make an offer if you like a property. So what is all this doing in terms of impacting home prices? I mean, are the are, are they are they rising then? Are they are people getting more uh more when they sell their home than maybe uh, a year or two ago? So the um, there's actually a study by Home Price Expectations Survey by Pulsenomics, and they take housing market analysts. Um, there's about 100 that they surveyed, economists and housing market analysts. And what they're projecting for 2023 is a 1.61% depreciation in house prices. So nothing that's really anything to write home about, but just a little dip in the home price appreciation. But what they're seeing is in 2024, it's going to go up 1.9%. These are, these are their expectations that they have for um, that, that home price appreciation. Then bumping up in 2025 to 3.57. And then by 2027, getting back up to that normal home price appreciation of around 4%. Okay. So... Although um, I, I'm curious, like what's what's the trend? What's leading to that upward trend? Do they think? Do they think? It, does the the economy is that is that the reason why? Do they expect a better economy or what? Well, so we grew so rapidly that we're taking these numbers off of an already higher home price appreciation. So if we look at a trend line, even from 1970s to 1980s, we're still on on path with the long-term appreciation. So even when we look at that 1.6% dip in home price appreciation, it's still within that that 30-year trend line of, of what home prices are doing. Okay. Andrea Sheridan with the Missouri Association of Realtors Join Show Me Today. I'm Elisa Nelson. We are talking about the state of Missouri's housing market as, as we head into the busy season for Missouri's realtors. Um, 
do you happen to know like uh what the current mortgage rate range is is like yeah, so interest rates are currently around 6.7% according to the Federal Reserve Bank for St. Louis, and that's for a 30-year fixed mortgage. And then our uh, chief economist for the National Association of Realtors, Dr. Lawrence Yoon, predicts a 5.5% uh, mortgage interest rate by end of year, and the Mortgage Bankers Association has it around 5.3%. Okay, so um, are there current mortgage options you would recommend to people who might be looking for a home? Yeah, there are amazing programs out there, and they're tailored to specific buyers. So if you have someone, um, or let's say yourself, you are a, a first responder, there are loan programs for you. Um, somebody who is going into the medical field, um, doctors, they're actually able to put together a physician doctor loan, which um, is actually based on your speculative income um, while you're in school and finishing your residency. So it's amazing. Um, but all of those programs, be really open with your mortgage professional and tell them, you know, what, what jobs you're in and things like that, because there's probably going to be a loan program and some um, down payment options for you that are even better than, than the normal loans that are out there. Hey, curious, what you think of home warranties? Do, are those still ex around? Yeah, home warranties can be a, a peace of mind protection, especially I think for first time home buyers. There's a, there's a lot of responsibility that goes into owning a home. So that home warranty will help you if within the first three months, five months, six months, you have a, um, a hot water heater that goes out or that, um, you know, you have a leak or something, you're going to pay that deductible and it gets repaired or replaced. So it definitely helps ease the um, first time home buyer blues. All right. Andrea Sheridan, president of the Missouri Association of Realtors. Anything else that we haven't covered, Andrea, that you think our Show Me Today audience needs to know about when it comes to Missouri's housing market? Yeah, um, home ownership is, is one of those opportunities where you are building your own equity and your wealth for your future versus paying your landlord rent that you'll never see again. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Show Me Today.